0: And now, The Low
1: Post. Welcome to The Low Post podcast on a Thursday afternoon. The sun is shining. Normally, the NBA playoffs would be starting in about a week, but we are not living in a normal world. We're coming down the stretch of the NBA season. There are lots of fun things to talk about, and there is almost no one on planet Earth I would rather bounce around the NBA with than the one and only the Hall of Famer, one of the voices of the National Basketball Association and the sport of basketball in general, Doris Burke. How are you?
0: I could not be any better, Zach. Could not be any better. You know, my game last night was a blowout, but game two on ESPN was fantastic. So I I am really, really good. Thank you for asking.
1: Yeah, you had you had Pell's nets yes, uh, in Brooklyn, although you were not in Brooklyn. And boy, that I, I was I I was watching that game from behind by about 15 minutes because I had to put my daughter to bed and do some other things. And I kept waiting. Like, is he playing? Is it why he's still not in? When is he coming in? And I didn't have my phone next to me, so I didn't get all the Twitter updates. Like, were, like, were, you, were you sitting there? Like, can we get can the opening band get off the stage? And like, can can the can we start playing the hits?
0: Well, first of all, and you know, you never kind of get the full story of how things transpire we we spoke to steve nash i don't know i feel like in the 5 p.m range for that seven thirty game and mark jones one of the first orders of business when you're sitting down with these coaches even via zoom is you know they want to know the starters if they're willing to give them to you and obviously in this circumstance zach it's it's going to be up in the air we're assuming if kevin's playing he's starting and steve i could swear indicated that in fact Kevin would start. So when we get the lineup moments to air and he's not in it, we're scrambling. You know, I'm texting Aaron from the Nets. Hey, what's going on there? <laughs> and I said at one point in the first 10 minutes of the game, I'm like, folks, this is not a television ploy to generate ratings and keep you a captive audience. We really want to see Kevin Durant as much as you guys. At one point I said, bring him out, bring them out. Like Mark Jones is like, TI, bring it. Yeah, it was crazy. But here's the thing about Kevin Durant. That's just, you know, the first shots off a pin down into his mid range, right about the elbow. And how easy does he make the game? Like, it is beautiful to watch. And the one hiccup he had was turnovers. And that, if you remember, when he came out of the gates off the Achilles injury this year, I thought it was the last aspect of his game where his turnovers were a little bit high. He was bringing up the fact that his turnovers were high. Uh, But just how fabulous, man. The guy is so gifted. And uh, on a night where we didn't have James, it was just so good to see him again.
1: I think it's fitting. I think the Nets should just do nothing normal the whole season. Just lean all the way in to this identity as team. I don't know, whatever you want to say. Like Kevin's coming back and then just build suspense. He's on the bike. Where is he? Malika comes on and says he needed to get away from the bench to have more room to get warm. Like, that's not a thing. He didn't have like, (laughs) what what does that even mean? No, it just, um, so I thought he looked great, you know, and we've only seen glimpses. I mean, they've played 185 minutes together, the big three. And even last night, Harden doesn't play, which we'll get into. the MVP race takes another left turn, Um, you know, right before halftime, Durant or Irving and Durant run a side pick and roll on the left side. Durant rolls in and I think it's fouled at the rim. And you're like, Oh, that's, that's fun. We've seen like six of those this year. Imagine when we see 15 in a game, there was another play where on the left uh, on the right sideline in the second half, Kyrie set a pin down for Durant or took a, who caught the ball coming off the pin down, went right into a pick and roll with the Marcus Aldridge. LaMarcus got a dunk and you're like, boy, oh boy. So, so, you know, And again, they're just scratching the surface, but you mentioned on the broadcast, and I'm interested to hear more on your take. Are you, you compared them to the Clippers last year in terms of, you know, the stars had so little time together in the regular season because of load management and injury. And it seemed to catch up with them in the playoffs. I guess if we have to retroactively explain how a team could fall so badly on its face, we have to pin it on something. Are you worried? Do the Nets, are you worried? Do they need 10 games, five games, no games? Like, how worried are you about it?
0: Well, I just think that some level of time together, in particular in possession ball games, where you're trying to work out how the floor is going to look. Uh, You know, the sample size with Kyrie and James, certainly impressive. Kevin Durant's the best fourth quarter scorer in the league understanding that he just missed that long stretch. He's also one of the most efficient shooters in the fourth quarter. I believe he's 51%. I had that note on my cards for last night. Um, And James, and I also said this on the broadcast, not only do you have three great players, but three players whose games are so adaptable and flexible that they can find success anywhere on the floor. So I, I guess I don't know if, if they need 10 games. I don't know that I could quantify what they need. I, I'm intrigued as much by other questions about the Nets as I am that particular question. And I would ask you something. Zach, before LaMarcus came, Nicholas Claxton was you know playing 19 minutes and I thought looked fantastic. He's shooting something like 60% off James Harden passes, Um, I just thought, you know, providing some things defensively with the length and the speed and all the things he gives you. And I asked Steve this and sort of got a roundabout answer in our coaches meeting. Is there a way you see the front court playing out in postseason? Is it strictly matchup dictated? Do you like LaMarcus's, you know, average shot distance (laughs) versus what you see from DJ, who's now out of the rotation, does Nicholas Claxton fall behind because you're trying to acclimate LA? Like what is your take on all that you're seeing in the front court of Brooklyn? That was a lot to throw at you, but I want to know what you think.
1: Well, it's interesting, you know, watching them last night without without Harden um and with Durant playing limited minutes, Lamarcus got to be Lamarcus. It was last night was like It was like one of those things you can't you're probably not a pro wrestling person, but like sometimes in pro wrestling, all these stars will get together for these sequences where they all get to do their finishing moves. And it's just like it's just a tribute for the fans like or an SNL where like a where someone a couple of the old veterans come and they do their old characters. It's like, oh, there's LaMarcus. LaMarcus is doing his LaMarcus. Hey, Blake, come in here. Blake, do a dunk. If there's Blake was just like a greatest hits from like the last 10 years of the NBA. Look, the bottom line is when they're all three on the floor, and I think Joe Harris is ingredient number four in their best lineups, right? I mean, he's perfect for them, um, and, and that's, you know, the, the, the lineup that is played the most together when all three stars are together are the three stars plus Joe plus Jeff Green. I think in that fifth spot, what they really need is three-point shooting and or defense, which I think... Claxton is clearly the best defensive option followed by green followed by a big gap to to Blake and LaMarcus and whatever order you want to put them in three-point shooting I mean if LaMarcus is going to shoot threes Blake can shoot threes I mean when they're all together I don't see LaMarcus on the left block dribble 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 being a thing but I think it's going to be matchup based and I think it's just going to depend you know ahead behind kind of stuff like that. But I, I think there absolutely has to be a place for Claxton because when you have that much offensive firepower and that much shooting, I just don't know how much more you actually need in terms of guys who want to go get buckets and you need some of what Claxton brings. And Jeff green has been what a career arc for Jeff green. You know, he, he was the guy who for years and years he's overpaid. His teams are always better when he's off the floor and he's reinvented himself now as this sort of small ball center, four point five role player, capable. And, and ever since you know um, his run in Cleveland, I think he's proven a capable three point shooter. He's been fantastic for them.
0: Look at look at last year in Houston, where earlier this uh, year uh, I wrote down a quote where he basically said, "You know, again, Mike D'Antoni, his you know coaching magic of an in." in, in you know, giving these guys incredible confidence because Jeff's like, I feel like I played the best basketball of my life under, under Mike D'Antoni. And so that is translating to his shooting here and also to his play at the four and the five, Uh, you know, and that's what's so fascinating to me is when, when Kevin Durant left, he was getting minutes at the five or if Jeff, whoever, whatever, he's in the front court in one of those two spots and he's got to come back and be in a different spot. And his game is just so beautiful that it's it's easy for that to happen. Yeah, they're fascinating to me on any number of levels. And uh, you know, well, can I we- can
1: I expound on something you just said? Yeah, that where Durant plays is really interesting to me because one of my slight little worries with them loading up on all these big starry names, big men, mm-hmm. are are they trying to build a team? where KD plays more at the three, because for whatever reason, maybe he wants to play more. At three. I mean, we've seen these guys like LeBron wants to be a three, even though he's, he's a four AD doesn't want to be the five, et cetera, because right. I just think. I, I'm, I'm not sure that's how I would build this team is to play Kevin Durant more at the three with a bunch of traditional big men. But you saw last night, last night, I just chalk up to Harden's out. We haven't seen the real team, but, you know, there was that stretch—a very brief stretch earlier in the season when they brought Joe Harris off the bench, and I just, I, I just sort of—that's a little nagging worry I have. And you nailed it on the broadcast last night when he finally, when he, when he started playing the three, you pointed it out right away. And he's when he finally started playing the four. He said, okay now. He's playing the four. Yeah,
0: yeah, and I just want to go back to something you said about Joe Harris because these are the guys that the great teams have. Um, And he fights incredibly hard. He's smart on the defensive end. He'll dig out an offensive rebound or a defensive rebound in traffic that you're thinking the last guy I think is coming out with that defensive rebound between those bodies is Joe Harris. And I just love the guy's professionalism. Didn't blink when he doesn't start that game after starting whatever. Like, there's just a level of professionalism, toughness, shot making. He's absurd. Like, his catch-and-shoot percentages – from three are absolutely absurd so uh yeah and I I don't know Zach uh what to make of of like here's what I wonder about this season in general is there a compounding nature to any of these injuries because of the schedule that's being faced we're seeing it with the bad teams in terms of the blowout Zach uh you saw New Orleans you know sort of you know, back-to-back, fifth game in seven nights, they let go. They, they clearly let go. Uh, and I know we're going to talk a little Clippers. The, the, the toe injury, there's no time to heal. I was listening. I think Kevin O'Connor either wrote it or he said it on a podcast. He had done some digging into toe injuries that Paul George is facing, and the only thing that helps that is rest. Well, good luck in the COVID-19 2021 nba season getting rest like good luck with that
1: well you're seeing it where else you're seeing it is with the spurs at the bottom of the west because the spurs and the grizzlies were the two teams who because of the postponements were going to have absolutely loaded last halves of the season and the spurs have lost four in a row they're now a game under 500 clinging to ninth conversely the grizzlies I can't say – and by the way, the Spurs, I believe, have the hardest or the second-hardest schedule left in the Western Conference. So the Spurs are in a lot of second-hardest behind the Rockets. The Grizzlies, who have a relatively easy schedule As of the way, you just can't say enough about them. They're, they're still not healthy. They're still not whole. Jaron Jackson's injured. Justin Winslow, Justice is injured again. De'Anthony Melton's missed the last couple games. De'Anthony Melton – people need to watch De'Anthony Melton. He's just causing havoc everywhere he goes, and he's shooting like 42% from three. And the Grizz are three games over five hundred, solidly in eighth, Half a game behind the Mavericks or a game rather behind the Mavericks in the loss column. Just a sensational job building a deep, versatile team. And one of the great pleasures of the league, DB, Jonas Valanciunas, excuse my language, is just going out there and beating the out of people every single night and proving, yeah, I have my defensive limitations. I'm a little slow on the pick and roll. I can't hedge out like this. But I will maul your ass down in the post yeah. and give, give you a 28 and 15 right in your freaking eye. And you're going to have to sit in a cold tub for an hour after the game.
0: <laughs> yeah. And I just kudos to Taylor Jenkins. Who I remember when he got hired, uh, you know, Woj and I were talking about him and how much respect there was across the league for for Taylor, how hard they play. Um You know, I'm a big Dylan Brooks fan. That guy's an SOB, man. He's going to come at you every single night. There's a level of physicality, no back down. We see it from Ja in the way he talks about superstars, but then goes right at them. Like, I love everything about the Grizzlies. And to your point, I'm curious, do you think strength of schedule maybe takes on a greater, uh, as we head through the final five weeks, is that strength of schedule maybe more important this season and I say that because as we watch the Denver Nuggets and the, and the Clippers battle for the third seed, uh, the Clippers, the second easiest schedule remaining um, in the West. And so maybe that gives Paul George an opportunity uh, to get that toe right. You know, I, I'm, I'm curious about that strength of schedule down the stretch. What does it afford you if we can sit back? Yeah, that that night? third
1: seed looks like it could be a little bit of a prize. As much as any seed in the West is a prize, it, that <laughs> um, you know, it's just hard to simulate where the Lakers are going to be. That's the problem. And most simulations have their most likely landing spot as fifth, but yeah. there's
0: what if they're seventh,
1: you know, if there's if they're seventh there, there's
0: and Phoenix finishes second, Zach. That's your reward for Phoenix and Monty and the job you've done. Oh, by the way, you might play the Lakers, <laughs>
1: right? Well, if they're seventh. Uh, it will be DEFCON 1 uh, at multiple networks in the NBA League office during the play-in oh. tournament. Uh, there will be a <laughs> lot of alcohol consumed if the <laughs> Lakers are in the play-in tournament. Um, it would, For me, it would be great theater. Um, but that, that third seed, because in theory, you could get Portland in round one. And Portland is like, Portland's good. Norm Powell is an outstanding fit for them. He's given them exactly the sort of north-south lightning strike that they need. Nurkic yeah. is back. Like Portland is no joke, and and but then Phoenix, and and that's a team I do want to ask you about. Phoenix at two, is just not. You don't hear a fear of them around the league when you talk to coaches and and front office people and scouts. You hear respect. They're really good, maximizing their talent. Don't beat what's themselves. All up, that.
0: What's at the root of that? Is that the is that the inconsistency of DeAndre Ayton? That, that maybe is the piece that, that doesn't strike fear into you, the lack of playoff experience for he uh, and, and, you know, the young pieces. Obviously, you, you saw Chris Paul, and it was so fascinating to me last night. Mark Jackson made, you know, a very strong point that Devin Booker obviously is the best player on the team um, and that, you know, if you're discussing MVPs, et cetera, et cetera, and I was thinking definitely Devin Booker's the MVP, but you saw in the fourth quarter – Chris Paul um, is scoring, you know, like just under a point more or maybe just under, I don't know, whatever it is, he's scoring a little bit more in the fourth. He's definitely shooting a higher percentage than Devin Booker in the fourth. Like the value of Chris Paul in negotiating that team through some tight games is undeniable, right? So what's the skepticism there, uh, Zach?
1: Well, Chris Chris Paul also feels real comfortable going at Rudy Gobert in the pick and roll, dating to uh, a Clippers jazz, Rockets jazz, you know, he, in the playoffs, he has no, no fear of that matchup. I don't know what it is. I think, I mean, they have the second best net rating in the league behind Utah. They have the second best record in the league behind Utah. They are two and O against Utah. Um, and there were eight and eight. And so there's some crazy record since they were eight and eight. I think it's the relative lack of playoff experience for everybody, but CP, and Crowder. Um, And I I do think there's this, there's this idea and I've been guilty of it too. I said it about the Thunder last year that Chris Paul teams, they just, because he is so maniacal about winning every single possession in every single game and telling on people whose jerseys are untucked and all that, that they don't have an extra gear for the playoffs, that this is what they are, they're not going to get any better than this. And maybe that's true of the Suns, maybe not. But the gear they're playing at right now is awesome. Like they, they are, if you ask me, well, I pick them to win the, I, 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 point blank, this is an interesting question. Would you say the Suns are more likely to lose in the first round or win the Western Conference? I would say they're more likely to lose in the first round, but I don't wouldn't be like shocked if they got out of the West, but I just think because you could get Dallas in seventh, Dallas is no joke. You could get the Lakers falling to seventh, And I, I, I think probably the truth is in between, like they'll win a round and then it gets really hairy for them. But I, I don't, I I'm somewhere in the middle on Phoenix and I, I can only you know, in spitballing with people around the league, those are the things I hear, you know, small guards, small guards, just tough for small guards in the playoffs, blah, blah, blah. But they're really, really good
0: yeah their, their defense has vastly improved they're averaging 116 or 17 points in the 15 games post all-star like i started to look at them last night as i was sitting there watching that game the other question i'd have for you is you know the utah jazz and it's funny i, I always am in touch with david Locke, you know the, the creator of that locked on network and and jazz announcer i always and, and i'm spitballing things at him and i you know, they're, taking, they're making 17 threes, shooting 49% of their shots from three. I guess the closest person they have to that guy would be Donovan Mitchell. Are, and Rudy probably undersold as a piece of everything that happens with them on the offensive end as much as they are as he is on the defensive end. But let me ask you this. Like, if you were to say same thing for them losing the first round or, or come out of the West. Where are you falling? Can they beat teams in, you know, six, you know three playoff rounds by out them from three? Is I it think, as simple as that?
1: I think it's more likely they win the West and lose in the first round for sure, just because they're going to, barring, I mean, they have a, a pretty easy schedule the rest of the way, so they should, despite now losing the tiebreaker with Phoenix, um, they should clinch the number one seed. They should get the number one seed and thus get... a a team that's not the Lakers or the Mavericks and whoever finishes eighth, you know, you, you hear them. I even saw when Gonzaga lost the championship game. This is, this is the jazz. This is the college version of the jazz. You know, they, they finally played a real team who wasn't scared of them and and the the cute fundamental stuff they did failed. And you've heard the same thing, the jazz compared to the 2015 Hawks that won 60 games and then, you know, struggled to beat the wizards. Right. In the second round of the playoffs, yeah. I think the Jazz are better than that Hawks team. I mean, the metrics say they're a blow away better than that Hawks team. You know, so the the sites that the, the the projection systems that don't know really that don't care that the Jazz don't have quote unquote a guy like LeBron or Kawhi that just see the numbers. Those projection systems are like they're the overwhelming favorite to win the NBA championship. I don't agree with them, but that's how good their numbers are. I think. I think they play that style so well that I haven't seen them yet really run into a defense that for 48 minutes or, or multiple games can take away their three-pointers. They're still getting good looks. I, I, the question everyone has about them is, number one, what are they going to do when people start switching everything in the playoffs? Now, the follow-up to that is, who in the West actually has the capability to do that? Right. The Nuggets have Jokic, he can't switch. The Mavs have Porzingis, he's not going to switch. The Blazers have big plotting centers, they can't switch. AD at center for the Lakers, that gets a little troublesome. The Clippers with Ibaka at center or when they go Morris at center, gets a little troublesome. But I think you saw last night with Conley playing like this and right. Bogdanovich playing like this, yeah. they have a couple more answers to yeah. that than they used to.
0: I agree. Mike Conley looks like the guy they thought they were getting, you know, how much of missing the first camp with them, not playing out of the gates had an impact. I mean, he is a small guard, but he has been absolutely brilliant. And I've always loved, loved Bogdanovich's game. I I just think he's smart. He's tough. He's competitive. He's, he's just, he's a shot maker. He's, he's going to create a leak out and transition. Like I love Bogdanovich's game. Um, I, I listen, it's, This is, this is a curiosity for me because um, wouldn't it be something else if there's so many like, boy, what would change in the NBA if the jazz were to ever advance out of the West as currently constructed, would we take that three point shooting number, the almost 40% on 49% of your shots. And now the threes go to, you know, an even more obscene level or, you know, as it relates to the MVP race, are we are we going to see a center who, by his own definition, has to play patient? because he's slow as hell? Could Nikola Jokic, a center that's slow and unathletic by his own words, playing in the Denver mar- market, win the MVP? Well,
1: hey, Den- Denver like- may... Denver may mess around and win the championship if they're, yeah. not, if they're not careful here. Right. Now, I want to I get back to that. I want to get back to that. That's a good tease because I'm going to get back to that.
0: I want to uh, get back to the wrestling. I am oh. not a fan. I'm not jumping off the top rope anytime soon. <laughs>
1: <laughs> for the ones who get it done, Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facility safe and your people safer. Call or click Grainger.com or just stop by. Spring is the best time to add new challenges to your training just in time for summer and warmer days. It's also the best time to either take a new look at your fitness routine, dial it up a notch, and continue powering on Peloton's varying class lengths. were designed with your personalized training in mind. Whether you'd like to add a 10-minute course session at the end of your strength class or take a 60-minute power zone ride to increase your endurance – Peloton classes help you focus on your needs and goals. They are also made to challenge you with a variety of classes like boot camps, boxing, okay, full body strength, marathon training, all created to grow your skills or push you to improve in what you already excel in. Peloton's expert coaches and nonstop vibes, hashtag vibes, will push you to new levels of strength and endurance, keeping you on your toes while giving you the professional coaching you need. With a wide variety of options, whether you prefer to run outdoors, row, or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. Get your head start on summer with Peloton at onepeloton.com. That's onepeloton.com. Let me get back to the Nets and then we're gonna get we're gonna get to MVP. Um oh uh, Utah. Uh, Bogdanovich, Bogdanovich to me is such an interesting barometer for them. When he plays well, they're really, really hard to beat. Now he's also the weakest defensive player in their starting lineup by a lot and teams are going to pick on him in the playoffs. We've seen it in the regular season. He also, sneakily, DB, was the most efficient post-up player in the league last year, according to Second Spectrum. Now, not a huge sample, but a decent sample, wow. and is yeah. in the top 10 this year. And when you talk about exploiting switches and mismatches, that's a vehicle to do that. And I do think teams will switch even more against him. Like, you saw last night, it was interesting. The Suns would switch Booker on to Gobert, and, and they would panic Uh, We got to get Booker out of there. We got to scram him out of there. I actually would like, I don't think you need to panic. If you're going to throw the ball to Rudy Gobert, throw it to him. You know who is the least efficient post-up player in the NBA this year by a lot? Rudy Gobert, throw it to him. Now it's offensive rebounds. I start to get worried about, but I, I, I would dare them to win that way rather than worry about Gobert against a guard. Um, Let's go back to the Nets for a second. Okay. because I just want to make this clear, if it, and it, maybe you don't have to answer this question if you don't want, but the Nets, the Nets. If you if you ask me right now, pick a team to win the championship, I would the pick Nets. the Brooklyn. I would pick the Brooklyn Nets.
0: So am I, and I couldn't believe I said it. This was before LeBron's injury. Uh, I can't remember what 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 interview I did this on. I really cannot remember, but somebody put me on the spot and said, "Who do you think is winning?" And I said, "I I cannot believe I'm not saying the Los Angeles Lakers." But I am picking the Brooklyn Nets, and that was pre-LeBron injury. So, for what it's worth, I'm with you.
1: Now, I am curious. Before we move on, you were not in Brooklyn last night, and I think fans would be curious too. Um, how are you doing this? Because I don't know. The, I'm talking like simple mechanics of it, because you could hear on the broadcasts more some more than others. It, it, and this didn't happen with you and Mark, I don't think at all last night, but. People talking over each other because you're not next to each other. You can't feel that rhythm of when is he done talking? Now it's my turn to talk and blah blah. Like, can you can you see your play by play person when you're when you're doing these broad? Like, how is this actually working?
0: Yeah, I'm glad you asked that question. I'm going to preface my remarks by saying I'm thankful to have a job because the economic devastation and the loss of, of employment for so many Americans is real. This has been the most challenging. Professional year of my career on so many levels, um, it, because of the the home broadcast setup, um, and that you just touched a nerve for me because one of the single things I hate as an announcer more than anything else is stepping on my partner. I can't stand it. You know, it's it's obviously not out of disrespect. It's out of the fact that we're not sitting next to one another mechanically, we are watching the game, we're covering the game off a a, a Zoom feed. It's on a uh, one computer monitor. So I cannot, if I were sitting next to Mark, I'm gonna turn to him if he's speaking and I wanna get in. I'm gonna give him some physical sign either by turning to him or by touching his arm or by just having my eyes on him to know that Mark is done or at the end of his thought before I open my mouth and I did step on him and it's happened on nights and it's really, I hate it. It's the thing I dislike the most. The other part of that is, Kevin Durant was the story of last night. And because we're taking what is called a world feed, we're basically using some of the home broadcast camera. We're not in control of everything. And so, You know, I can't see everything. You know, Jeff Van Gundy sees the game at a different level than I do. He he sees all five guys from each team through an entire 24-second possession. I'm in the talkback asking my producer to show me that in an isolation monitor where only I can see it so that I can be certain my eyes were correct. I just don't process it as fast as, you know, I've never pretended to have coached or played in the NBA. That's not how I do my job. Zach, the number of cues I pick up on by being in the arena, by watching the interaction amongst teammates between staffs, the the casual conversations that you have, the ability to look a player eye to eye and say hello. If you've said something objectionable that they have an opportunity to see you and say something to you, I disagree with this or I agree with that or whatever the case might be. Or just the humanity of of a hello, um, I, I can't tell you, it's been, it's been very challenging. And, and I say that, and I, but I also say that I am remarkably thankful that I'm still calling games, but it is, it is challenging. And I do think, you know, we take pride in our coverage. I think it's, it's one of ESPN's best attributes, the ability to tell what happens in a game there's a winner, there's a loser, there's a reason why, and there's all these dynamic interactions happening. And I don't think we're getting the full full content of that.
1: Well, look, as a viewer, all I can say is, do I do I hear people talking over each other every now and then? Sure. I understand exactly why. It doesn't ruin the broadcast or anything for me. It's just, I, I get it. I understand why it is. And, you know, hopefully, uh, hopefully we all can get back to some normalcy. Although I feel like I, I, I don't know how I, I'm going to have to like retrain, but I forgot how to travel door like, I don't know how to do it anymore. It used to be like, because you you, you have this part of your brain. That's like, okay, the Uber comes at this point. I need to get to the gate by this point on the plane. I'm going to write this at like this hotel. I know how to get my coffee here. I, I, I become stupid now. I don't know how to do it anymore. I have to train myself again.
0: Can I say this to you? This is going to sound so ridiculous to your listeners, but Because I've been traveling for 30 years. What I think I did not realize until it stopped was the amount of time required to travel. The the act of preparing your suitcase, getting yourself to the airport, waiting the 60 to 90 minutes to get to your plane, reversing that process on the opposite side and then coming home. It sounds so ridiculous, but... I I thought I watched a lot of NBA basketball before I, you know, while I was traveling to do my job, it's obscene the amount of basketball I can watch because I'm not traveling.
1: I feel like the next time I go to California, I'm going to feel like I've traveled to China. My body is going to be three hours. What's happened to us? Um, Let's go back to basketball. The one thing I forgot to mention about Utah, Everyone's going to focus on the offense in the playoffs. And and yes, the Jazz have had some playoff series where they shot poorly from three. And it's like, well, does this offense work? I'm actually almost as interested in the defense. And everyone's going to think that's about Gobert and can he adjust to, you know, spread offenses in the playoffs or whatever. And to some degree it is, but I I to me, their lack of a bigger wing stopper is still if there's an Achilles heel on their team, it's that there's just too much asked of Royce O'Neill. And if they run into the wrong team at the wrong time, I just don't know that they really have a real baked in answer to that problem.
0: That's a great point because I think Royce is exceptional, obviously on the defensive end and nightly. He is not only willing, but seems to relish absorbing that assignment. I don't, I can't off the top of my head record. What is he? Six, 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 seven, whatever he is. You make a great point uh, because I do think there are bigger challenges there uh, in terms of bodies. So that's that's a great question. Six and, four, you know,
1: DB. 6'4". Oh four. my
0: God, six four. See, like he's so good defensively. I just said six six, but that's a great point. It's it's a uh, it's well taken. Yes, a hundred percent.
1: Let's talk about the MVP because you mentioned the uh, the center who's now a little more athletic than he gives himself credit for because. Yeah. He got serious about his body. He dunks yeah. now. He's faster now. I I think we're heading. Harden is now hurt, and Durant is back. And Durant's return was always going to chip away at Harden's MVP case. Uh, let me ask you this: You have a vote, right? Yes, I do. What do you? How are how are you mentally handling the how 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 are you evaluating the Houston part of James Harden's season? Like I, I went on some I went on Justin Termini's radio show this week with him and Eddie Johnson. I love Eddie Johnson. I could listen to Eddie Johnson talk about making tofu or something. He's so entertaining. Um, and Termini said, I wouldn't even put James Harden on my ballot period. Wow. And I said, I think that's, I think that's a little much, but where, where, how are you because dealing with he was
0: that? So offended by his exodus from Houston.
1: Yeah. You can't just, you can't do that. And even be in the discussion. Now, I would, he'd be on my ballot for sure, but I, it is something that I've tried to reckon
0: with. I'm the same. I am 100% the same, but I have him on my ballot, Zach. I I just I think the numbers are indisputable. His effect on that team, the adaptability of his game. He's averaging what 25, uh, almost 9 and 11. Like my eyes are telling me I'm watching an MVP, but the injury and the return of Kevin Durant will absolutely skew that. Embiid's injury is going to impact it. Embiid has played 33 games. Joker has played 51 games. Um, their PERs, 31.2 to 31.4. You know, uh, Nicola is taking a career high 18 shots. And I want to say, amen, I would love to see you get 20 shots. Um, I just think he's been absolutely unguardable. Un- you, you know, patient, yes. Uh, you know, counter, yes. The Sambor shuffle, yes the passing, the mastery of the offense. Um, It's the guy has been unguardable. He's brilliant. And it's just mind boggling to me, Zach, that a a 41st pick playing for the Denver Nuggets, who was an obscure draft pick, who Denver didn't even know what they had when they got him. I don't Um, believe
1: they, I don't even believe they interviewed him ever. Um, I
0: mean, it's, it is such an incredible story. And there's some like, listen, I'm captivated by a lot of things in the NBA and and the different journeys and paths that people take. The guy seems like he could care less about the NBA lifestyle. He's there's just I don't know. He's an he's an appealing character because he is so different. But the game speaks for itself. It took Jamal Murray some time coming out of the gates. He wasn't where he was. Uh, in the bubble like Nicola to me if I ended my vote today my my MVP vote goes to Nicola Jokic
1: I think we're heading toward a pretty clear Jokic MVP case I, I just it's to the point now with Harden maybe losing a little steam and, and I was gonna I, w- I had Jokic anyway but I Embiid has missed 18 games He's probably going to miss another couple of games here and there. He's just going to end up missing a lot of games. LeBron's going to end up missing a lot of games. Lillard is coming, although he's had a little ice, a little bit of a cold week. Blazers are, are only two games behind the Nuggets in the loss column. Remarkably, they have a 0.0 point differential for the season, and they're 10 games over 500, which is insane. Can um, I ask
0: you is it true that they've not beaten anybody above them in the standings? That can't I, be true.
1: Maybe. I don't know. I, I haven't looked that up. I have not seen it. Wouldn't surprise me. Uh, I don't think that would necessarily be. I mean, I can look up their record above five hundred against teams over above five hundred in a second. But no, but um, I
0: Lillard, Lillard is is, I mean, has to be there. Uh, and Luke
1: and Luca and the Mavs are coming. And Luca, Luka's now just throwing passes directly backwards over his head. <laughs> like, what like once again? Like what that? What what? Where is that coming from? All of a sudden, every game he throws, he he is the I'm not sure I've ever seen a player as good as him at getting cornered under the rim to the point that you're almost literally invisible to television viewers because you are so swarmed by other large human beings and yet still being in a position of strength because you see everything. You're big enough and long enough to make every pass, even if you have to stick your arm out of bounds and whip it to the corner. Or you have such pivoty genius footwork that you're two little steps away from being in wide open space. So I just, it's uncanny what he's doing. And they're, I mean, that loss against Houston last night could come back to haunt them a little bit because it was a game they should have won. They've been hot. They had poor Zingas. And to me, the biggest subplot left or one of the bigger subplots left linked to the Lakers subplot is can the Mavs play their way out of seventh because they have the easiest schedule in the West the rest of the way there and they're playing well. And Luca is playing Fantastically. I think it's not going to be enough to win the MVP, but he's playing fantastically.
0: You know, Luca, it's like if the guy gets into the paint, which happens all the time, and he's in a jump stop situation, your job has just begun as a defensive player. You think, okay, I've got him to stop in the paint. Now I've just got to stay in front and keep, you know, make him shoot over the top. But his footwork, creativity it's like your job has just begun when he's got two feet in the paint and maybe he doesn't have a live dribble left. Like still, you're still in jail. Um, what's, what's striking to me is how poorly they shot it out of the gates. And now you can look across their roster and see that everybody is now making those shots off of his passes. And, you know, we've pestered Rick Carlisle for two years uh, about, about the percentage from three-point territory for Luca. And he's like, and this is, I know, a pet peeve of Mike Green's, and I saw it twice last night, once in my game and once in the game after me. Guys don't even try to get a shot up. If there's like, you know, you could have 1.8 seconds on the catch in the backcourt. Normally you see that he, guys just refuse to do it, where Rick is like, I don't care what the percentages tell you. I'm saying to you, this guy is not a good shooter. He's a great shooter. And he, his percentages are a reflection of this guy never gives up. He's never going to eat a turnover. He's never not going to make a heave. Um, and his step back, like the step backs, you know he's going left, you know it's going to go in, and it's especially going to go in in the tough moment. The guy is so special. Like, how old is he now? 22, Zach?
1: I think so, yeah.
0: 22 years of age. It's really, it's something else. Listen, I'm going to tell you this. Out of the gates, I I would tell you that Embiid was my front runner for MVP. Uh, that's how impactful he has been on both ends of the floor. But I have now jokic up above i mean the 51 games to 33 it's really been the story of joel's career as his, his health and uh you yeah, know halfway
1: halfway through the season i had him beat by a teensy teensy margin over jokic and yeah. then lebron a teensy teensy bit behind them yeah and i by the way you, you can make the argument for lebron I mean now it's going to be hard with the missed games if you just want to say lebron's the best player is the mvp like i don't really have a big counter argument to that
0: yeah but I this, think- this is important zach like, and I say this every year, I'm glad they make our votes public. None of us is uh, immune from making mistakes or, or being, having our judgment colored. This stuff keeps me up. Like this is their legacy. This is money on the table. I, you know, I take it serious. It doesn't mean I'm right, you know, or that we make the perfect selections. And I've heard you, I have heard you on your podcast with other people talk about things that go into people's voting. Like getting this vote is important. you got to take it serious. And I think
1: it's important. I mean, I, I not everyone has the space or the whatever to write a column or do a podcast outlining your choices. I think for me, because you can make your choice, right? You can fill out your ballot. And very few people are actually going to look at the NBA press release and go on to NBA.com and look at the teensy, teensy, tiny font in your row and see who you <laughs> voted for. So you can do your votes. And if you never mention them or who you voted for, you can sort of escape the scrutiny that comes with voting and having everyone in the league mad at you for various reasons for a week straight. Right. I think it's important for everyone to be mad at me. And I think it's important for people to know. I don't, I don't want to hide who I vote for, even though it's just going to be people being angry at me. But I think we're heading toward a clear Jokic win. He's averaging 26, 11, and 9 on 57% shooting. 42% from three, 61% from two. Denver is now number two in offense, which would coincidentally be the second most efficient offense, I guess, in the history of the NBA. They're averaging 117 points per 100 possessions. When Jokic and Murray on the floor are on the floor together, they are scoring 123 points per 100 possessions, which is basically like we're kind of breaking basketball yeah. at that point. I just think you can tell me about his defensive limitations. There's a lot of merit to that. I think they're exaggerating a little bit. I just think he's going to be the clear MVP, and particularly if they can get the third, but even if they're fourth with a really strong fourth and a record that's about the same as the Clippers, I, I think that he's just going to have a pretty open and shut case.
0: The 57%, 42% from three, as you said, he's 86% from the free throw line, and you can hear it now from Mike Malone. Uh, the lack of respect in terms of free throw attempts he's making. Well, oh, they're mad.
1: I could tell you it's not, it, that that whole organization is mad right now. He's, on,
0: he's under. He's under five free throws per game. Four point seven. He's making four of them. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, how uh, about that tomboy shuffle shot with Mason Plumley dra- draped all over him? I'm watching the arc of that shot. And I'm just thinking to myself, there's no way that damn thing is going in, and it is nothing but well,
1: his his crunch time numbers are really good. Um, and, and I've I've said many times he in he's his own player, Dirk's his own player, he's the successor to Dirk, just in that he's the rare big man who can be the number one option in crunch time, and you know you're getting a good shot. I can't tell you how many times. I've, this season, last season, I've talked to people the day after they played the Nuggets, the front office people, coaches, and I hear the same line. And they're always like, hey, did, did you see that bullshit Jokic threw up there at the end of the game and that it went? And I'm like, yeah, because that's what he does. He throws up that bullshit and it goes in. Look at his shot in game seven against the Jazz. last year. He's like leaning back like he's sitting in a recliner over his head, barely jumping one hand. It goes in. That's what he does. I think he's going to win the MVP and I think he's going to deserve it. And that's it. The NFL schedule drops this week, and you can be there to catch all the action live and in person with Vivid Seats. Experience every touchdown, every tackle, every eye-popping play of your favorite team. And to kick it off, Vivid Seats, the official ticketing partner of ESPN, is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code LOW. That's code LOW, L-O-W-E, my last name, the name of this podcast. Download the app or visit VividSeats.com today. Vivid Seats, experience it live. Because of the ebay motors you're burning rubber not cash with all the parts you need at the prices you want it's easy to make your car the mvp and bring home huge wins keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com eligible items only exclusions apply who in the east who in the middle of the east is interesting to you like atlanta miami boston Do any of these teams have a a sort of, I mean, they're all around 500. Interestingly, in the East, there is now, again, a big gap between the Bulls in 10th and the Raptors in 11th. And if the Raptors can't get healthy and moving, we may have our 10 teams. And it's just a matter of who's 7 to 10, who's in the play-in. But do any of those teams in the East, we have such a bifurcation between the top three and everybody else. Is there anyone down there that's interesting to you?
0: No, it feels like they've been mediocre, all of those teams, for a reason. I I guess the more interesting question for me, because we both think Brooklyn is winning the championship, but is there a circumstance under which you see Philadelphia or Milwaukee uh, being able to, to beat Brooklyn? Because I do think Milwaukee is more diverse on the offensive end. I remember asking Doc Rivers specifically about guarding Jokic. I said, I feel as though He's going through his progressions faster. The ball is coming out of his hands. Faster. Giannis. Giannis, you mean? Yeah, Giannis. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Giannis. Um, is there any number one? Do you think Milwaukee is more diverse? Is it real? Is it better? Uh, you know, there's still their numbers protecting the paint with, with Brooke, who I just think is absolutely tremendous, is, is better, um, you know, you know drew we talked about the contract and listen you know at the end of it it's a lot of money no question about it but what when i hear people talking when i hear players talking about the toughest guy to to score against being drew like i put a lot of weight for what these players say they're the ones matching up against them night by night is there a scenario under which you see either team philadelphia And I'm not including health issues for Brooklyn. Is there a scenario under which you see either team beating Brooklyn? Uh,
1: uh, Sure. Yeah, of course. I I would be, both results would surprise me because I think Brooklyn is going to be that good when they're fully going. But I think Milwaukee is being slept on a little bit. Um, I believe off the top of my head, they're five and six in games that Drew Holiday missed, which would make them 27 and 12 or something in all the rest of their other games. Or maybe I'm even doing that wrong. Uh, Yeah, know, 27, it's 25, something really good. And Drew has been outstanding this year, outstanding. I do think their offense is more diverse with Giannis screening more and Drew Holiday handling the ball more and all that. And Giannis' passing has reached another level. We, you know, defensively, they're still really good. They're switching. I think it comes down to, do they have enough around those three guys, enough guys that you trust around those three guys? And when the going gets tough, are they going to fall back on what's been familiar to them for the last two or three seasons under Bud? Or are they going to be comfortable doing all this new switching they're doing on defense? We haven't really seen Tucker. He's had that, what does he have, a calf or a hamstring or something that's been keeping him yeah. out? I yeah. just, you know, it, it's hard to separate what's happened in previous seasons and, and the sort of aftertaste it leaves with both the Clippers and the Bucs. I, I think the Bucs are really, really good. I just, I don't trust them quite as much as I trust what the Nets are gonna do. And the Sixers, if they're healthy, are are gonna be a beast. And we haven't seen George Hill yet. So I think the Sixers are, I think the Sixers are scary. I think the Sixers are scary, but I, I would pick the Nets over both of them.
0: Here's my thoughts on I'm the same and trust is an issue for 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 me for each of those teams. So one thing I'd say is, you know, as it relates to the pieces around it, there's been times where with Dante DiVincenzo and Pat Connaughton, I think that those guys are ready to take this step Uh, where where Dante is going to consistently knock down shots because the ball is going to find him and that Pat is going to inject himself enough with that athleticism on the glass and make some plays. And then I see enough stretches where I doubt what I, you know, I doubt those, you know, those aspects. So we'll see on that one. I do think when, and I said this on the last Sixers broadcast I had, on games where, you know, Joel is at his peak. And you are getting Seth and Shake. You need both. When Seth and Shake are both knocking down shots, I feel like they're at a different level. And that's when I think they're at their most scary. If the other guys are their givens, if Embiid is dominating, if Tobias is catching and going, if Tobias is catching and shooting, um, you know, if Ben's being a menace and, and, and putting them one through five or one through four, or whatever, um, I do. I feel like the Sixers are more scary than Milwaukee, but it's hard to doubt some of the things I've seen from Giannis and their progressions. I mean, it's it's interesting. I still think Brooklyn is better because those three guys are those three guys. Well, but, Danny
1: Green's also playing really well, um, and Tobias has been just blow away outstanding all season. Simmons has had the weirdest season where he was a little passive, passive, passive. Why well, is he not getting to the line? Is he passing out of layups? And, fi- and then he had a month where he was just rampaging around. Now the last couple of weeks has been back to like, why is he two of nine with one free throw? And it just isn't, it isn't clicking again. But George Hill is really going to help their team. The next tier below, I'm really curious what Miami can put together the rest of the year. Um, there, I'm looking at things now. They're four and 18 against teams with winning records. Um, and I feel like the whole year, they've kind of been searching for Jay Crowder. They've missed Jay Crowder. Just that piece that locks together their starting five with enough size and enough shooting and enough secondary playmaking. Mo Harkless just didn't happen. Now the Olenek is too big and slow. They don't really want to play with Bam and Olenek like that. Now they're trying Ariza, who just he didn't play for a year. He's 36 years old all the depot hasn't shot it well for them. It, it just feels like they're still kind of searching around and we all want to think Miami because of what happened last year has this run in them and they have, they have the talent for it. It just, and, and they're playing this like blitzing helter skelter defense the last couple of months. It looks like you have to expect Chris Bosch to be out there and Dwayne Wade to block a shot at the rim or something. It, it just feels like they're searching. And I, I love the talent. Jimmy, Bam are amazing. Duncan Robinson has had, I think a better season than people realize because he became weirdly sort of radioactive or as a target for ire among fans. Hero's been up and down. It just feels like they're fighting it. And I don't know if they're gonna find their, like get in that phase where they're clicking like they were last year.
0: When a year has been that hard from the outset for a variety of reasons, but when the year has been that hard, When do you magically like even a year ago? Think about it. I had them in a January, uh, early January game, and then the injuries set in last year. And when I revisited them, and then we get them through the bubble, it was something Eric Spolster and I were talking about. He said, Doris, we were on the we were on the brink of this run in January, and then injuries set in for us. So you had seen signs a year ago. And, and I say you, meaning the staff saw mm-hmm. something. They saw that run coming before the injury set in. And so they just got back to those, that run that they felt like they were launched for. It feels to me like everything has been hard for Miami. Um, and isn't the Jay Crowder piece now in Phoenix? And I used to laugh at some of the threes Jay Crowder would take in Boston. But inevitably, the threes would be going in. I'm like, I don't think this guy is as good a shooter to take that shot in that moment. But there's this intrepid spirit about him. There's a level of physicality um, that he brings, all all the things he can do on the defensive end. And this is what I'm saying to you. And I made this point about somebody earlier in the podcast. I I think it was Joe Harris. Like, sometimes it's those intriguing pieces around the stars. Contavious caldwell Pope. what he did last year for the Lakers, like, there's always one of those guys and these in these teams that surprise. So anyway. the other one is
1: Boston, like what you just said about it just feels so hard. They're hard. The, they're the team I like on the surface they should be a team that has a run in them because Walker, Smart, Tatum, Brown are all healthy although you know they it seems like one of them is held out of every game for some reason. Fournier is more impactful for them than he is as an individual player because they were just giving so many minutes to guys who on offense, all they could do is stand there and wait to shoot threes and not shoot them particularly well. Just another guy who can do something and shoot really well is going to be exponentially important to Boston. They have found something with Robert Williams at center. Love uh, and his DHO game and his passing game. Now, the last two games, Joel Embiid ate him alive. Now that yeah. happens. Yeah. Um, and last night against the Knicks, he didn't do much. So it's a reminder of – For every Robert Williams game, we're like, holy, this guy's amazing. How is he not starting this entire time? What is Brad Stevens thinking? Why does Tristan Thompson play? There is going to be a game where it's like, oh, he's in foul trouble. Oh, he just did some crazy stuff on defense and blah, blah. But it just feels like they're they're on the verge of if they can get healthy and humming and Robert Williams is playing well. They're on the verge of something, but they're just always on the verge of something. It It just hasn't happened. And I think the most fundamental reason it hasn't happened other than the virus hit them pretty hard is Kemba Walker's just not Kemba Walker. And until I see him be that player, the idea of what the Celtics can be is not going to be reality because he just hasn't been close to the same guy.
0: We saw it in the bubble, you know, the high pick and roll where Kemba gets into that, you know, release of the jump shot faster than anybody because of his size. He's had to, he got swallowed up at the point of attack in the bubble. No burst. Uh, Brad has said it consistently over and over. He's also taken responsibility and said, we need to do a better job of getting Kemba to the level he needs to be. I'm starting to wonder, you know, can he get back there consistently? They've protected him as much as possible in terms of the no back-to-backs. But if Kemba is their barometer, um, then that's worrisome because he's not yet proven consistently. You see it in spurts. Remember to start the year, Zach, he was having these incredibly productive first halves and couldn't sustain it in the second half. His first half to second half scoring were strikingly different. Now it's sometimes game to game. But when he looks great, they feel great. When he doesn't, agreed. And I said the same thing to, 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 uh, to Coach Stevens on a, on a Zoom call. I said, I'm not grading him out every game. I'm not tracking every missed defensive assignment things that are maddening and listen, like Joel Embiid is going to, he's going to torch a young man like that. you got to play Embiid like 15, 20 times to get any sense of what's coming at you and where it's coming at you from. And uh,
1: Still on that, pace, still on pace by the way, Joel Embiid to break Wilt Chamberlain's record for most free throws per 36 minutes in a season. He's averaging 13 free throws per 36 minutes. When you're breaking a Wilt Chamberlain record, most free throw attempts when you're breaking a Wilt Chamberlain record, that's a big deal. That's a big, big deal.
0: How He's seven foot two or whatever he is, seven foot. And he's making double digit free throws. He's 10.1 for 11.8 free throws. Unlike, and the guy, and it's easy. It's easy to do. What strikes me about him is really, when you think about it, how skilled he is relative to the number of years he's played, uh, real basketball, like the feel he has for the game, Zach, uh, Listen, I again, I'm going back to it. Up until the injury, he was my MVP. That, that's reversed now to Jokic. But the guy, the guy is a force. When he's locked in and he's in shape and he's healthy, I've said it over and over again to the, to the uh, frustration of Philly fans, he's as good as anybody in the league. He commands as much attention as anybody in the league when he's right, when he's engaged, when he's in shape. That's a bad man.
1: Let's finish on a fun note, and I will go first because I'm, go- I'm putting you on the spot a little bit. Let's finish with what you mentioned before we were on the pod. It's like the league is so fun right now. Every game's fun. Every team's fun. So I want you to pick maybe an under-the-radar, off-the-beaten-path fun thing that you're going to be enjoying, that you want people to enjoy watching for the last 20, 25 games. I will go first so you can think about your answer while I go. I have really enjoyed in the last three weeks – the chemistry that's building between Anthony Edwards and Carl Anthony Towns and everyone is going to focus on the dunks Carl uh, Anthony Edwards just is going to dunk people into oblivion Towns is going to shoot a lot of threes and and then but but I'm more focused on when they run pick and roll together when they run two man game together you can see them developing a little bit of a rhythm like like Edwards will 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 go around a pick give it back to Towns come back and get the ball or cut to the rim on a give and go. Towns will flip screens back for like, they're developing the kind of two man chemistry and considering how inexperienced Edwards is, how he got no summer league, all of that, their chemistry is accelerating at a rate that frankly, I didn't expect. And and we, and the analysis of Edwards is all tended to focus on how often does he drive? How many bad pull-up twos does he take? How, how bad is his defense? Is he falling asleep? All that. I just, just focusing on that, two-man game, the development of that two-man game and how Edwards is learning to use Towns to get better shots for himself, how Towns is learning to create for Edwards, how Towns, they can even run a reverse pick and roll together with Towns dribbling, just that two-man game. Forget all the noise in Minnesota, the messy coaching change, all the losses, the fact that they haven't made the playoffs more than once since Kevin Garnett left, all that stuff That right there, forget the pick that they owe to the Warriors and that D'Angelo Russell hasn't been very good, although he's back. That's exciting. Forget Malik Beasley got suspended. Now he's injured. Just that two-man game. I can close my eyes as a Timberwolves fan, cross my fingers, cross my toes, and say, that's a roadmap somewhere. As long as the roadmap is we're traveling fast enough on the roadmap that Carl Anthony Towns is like, isn't like I need to get on another roadmap somewhere else. That's a roadmap, maybe possibly somewhere. So that's my thing.
0: Well, I mean, then I'm going to just I don't know that it's anything that deep. I'm going to focus more on the New York Knicks. Yes. All right. Just because, you know, I'm a New York, New Jersey kid. and so. Uh, I sort of like the audacity I see from quickly. Uh, I am enjoying watching Barrett under the tutelage of Tom Thibodeau. Six Uh, from
1: six, six of six from three last night, RJ Barrett have a game.
0: Yeah. So the guy who, you know, go, go back to his very first summer league game. And I remember talking to Seth Greenberg about this and Seth was like, the lack of a jump shot for RJ is real. It's a problem. And uh, so I just I will be uh, watching the New York Knicks and where they're positioned at the end. uh, And the fact that they're going to be in this, you know, even if they're in the seven to 10 slot, which is likely um, I've, I've said it over and over. I'm probably dead wrong. I speak from somebody who grew up watching the team. I feel like the NBA is better when the New York Knicks are in postseason basketball. So I'm watching the New York Knicks. So,
1: Doris, let me piggyback on that briefly. All right. They are 25 and 27, so they've slumped now to a couple games below 500. Yeah. Yeah. Randall's in a little bit of a jump-shooting slump.
0: Yes, he Quickly,
1: is. Quickly's losing minutes and is, is yes. in a slump. Yes,
0: yes he is. Yeah. Even
1: so, they are four games up in the loss column on the Raptors. That's the difference between 8 and 11, wow. which would just make you think they should be in the play-in tournament. Yeah. The Knicks should be in. And that would be an incredible victory for the Knicks to get in the play-in tournament. It they, they have the hardest schedule left in the Eastern Conference, yeah. so that makes me a little nervous. But I will give them a ton of credit. Their defense has held up.
0: Oh, it has. It I has. thought
1: their defense was going to fall. For, it's fallen a little bit because they were, opponents were shooting such a ridiculously bad percentage from three. It was going to regress. But even so, they haven't fallen off much because they play hard every night. They nail their rotations every night. They are really a pretty airtight defensive team. Mitchell Robinson's hurt and it hasn't really impacted them all that much. Their defense travels from game to game. They don't make a lot of mistakes. They are in your face on every shot, and that has really been heartening to see. And all the credit will go to Tibbs, and and he's amazing. But it doesn't. You still have to have players that are good and willing and able to execute it, and they have done really well right now. They're in the play-in, and it's hard to see them falling out. It would be It would be great if they made. It would be amazing if they made it.
0: If you were to say at the start of the year, the New York Knicks would be one game behind Miami or two games behind Miami in the Lost Column, one game behind Boston, people would have said, check your sanity. You know, you're crazy. Uh, so, and I, this is so many nights I watched the Knicks and all I can think is just give, give me two knockdown shooters and boy, things might look a little bit different. But uh, yeah, listen, uh, that's, that's an intriguing storyline to me. This has been so fun, Zach Lowe.
1: It, it was. It has been fun. It's been a fun season. Doris Burke, you're the best. Stay safe. I really hope I see you at a game soon. We can get yeah. a beer after the game or a glass of wine after the game and watch some basketball in person. The one and only Doris Burke. Thank you very much. Thanks, Zach. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants.